Well, good morning. And yes, indeed, a whale of a tale, this thing about Jonah. And uh, I could ask you to raise your hand if you've heard the story of Jonah before. I'm not going to do that because I'm going to assume that either you've heard the story of Jonah from a preschooler before or you heard the story of Jonah as a preschooler before. The story goes way, way back. Let me ask you a question just to kind of get into the story of Jonah and the ideas behind it. Do you think God gives signs? Like, have you ever asked God for a sign before? Have you ever been faced with a weird decision and you're driving around one day and you're like, God, if you could just confirm that what I'm getting ready to do is going to be the right way, can you make the next billboard on 294 just give me a thumbs up? You know, or, you know, something like that. Like, you know, a sign that confirms that God is listening to you and doing something in your life. Well, you know, Jesus was faced with this idea, but kind of from the opposite heart or opposite uh, perspective of the religious leaders who were tasking him to prove himself as the Messiah, the promised one, by giving a sign. And what they wanted from him was a miracle. They wanted him to snap his fingers or wave his magic wand and do something that would prove that he is who he says he is. And Jesus responds in this very cool way, which sets up our series in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. The scripture says, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, to Jesus, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered in this way, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. Now catch that, a wicked and adulterous generation. Adulterous after what? Well, we'll see. A wicked and adulterous generation asks For a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus didn't give them what they wanted, He didn't give them a production, He didn't give them an entertaining miracle uh, to engage them in conversation further with. But he brings back their knowledge of this story, this event of the prophet Jonah and what he experienced. Maybe you experienced Jonah in preschool, as we said a minute ago. Maybe you experienced this story in Sunday school as a child. Maybe you've seen this story in a kid's Bible somewhere. And I love the way it's portrayed as something cute and fun and nice, you know, and, and the idea is that Jonah's kind of camped out in there and he's praying. Maybe he's building a fire, you know, maybe he brought some food with him and he's having a snack and he's just waiting for three days and three nights, right? But what I want to share with you this morning is a little dose of reality. See, the kind of whales we're talking about were not cute little whales with nice big bellies where somebody could check in and check out like Motel 6, We're talking about a whale that's the size of two and a half city buses long. And if you put a whale like that out where a person is, a person almost could get caught up in the whale's normal feeding pattern. Like when they're going along and such a huge animal, it's the size of two and a half buses, opens its mouth. Basically, the way they feed is they go along and they just scoop up whatever's in their path. And if there's a person there in their path, then it's not unrealistic that they could go along and scoop that person up, right? But I would suggest this. The main reason people don't take the Bible seriously is because the way stories are portrayed to them sound too fantastical. 
The stories and events in the scriptures sound too unrealistic. And what we do in, the, in, in the, the exposition of Scripture is we like to take the Scripture and we paint a background picture and pull the thing apart so that we can show that there is not only realism, there's realistic stuff in the story, but at the point where the story gets unrealistic, that is where the hand of God is at work. A la the miracles and the things that Jesus would normally do and the things that the Pharisees were asking Jesus to do. Right? But Jesus is not performing miracles for entertainment. Jesus is not performing miracles simply to prove himself. Jesus is performing miracles to serve and to save not only the people who are in front of him, but for all the generations to come and even those before him. There's a deeper, more meaningful purpose behind the things that God does in the realm of miracles. And so what I want to do today is kick off this series by exploring what is realistic. Like what could happen? What is the realism behind the story of Jonah? We believe the story of Jonah is not a myth. We believe the story of Jonah is historical. That it did actually happen and that there was a prophet named Jonah. In fact, Jesus even refers to him. I want to give you an example of the realistic side of this story. In South Africa, every year there's a gathering of sardines. Now, I don't know if you like sardines or not. Do you ever have sardines on your pizza? I don't. I'm not a fan of sardines. I think they stink. But basically, they're little fish. And every year in South Africa, they gather up in great hordes. And they form these like ball-shaped congregations out in the water. And all the predators who will eat them come along and feed And so what happened is this past year, and this is a certifiable news story. You can see it all over the news. You could Google this guy. This guy's name is Rainier Schimpf, and I hope I'm saying his name correctly. I think it's a combination of French and some other stuff. Rainier Schimpf. He is an underwater photographer and tour guide and explorer. And this guy happened to be out swimming around photographing that great gathering of sardines in South Africa. He was hoping to capture a great image of a shark feeding on the sardines. When lo and behold, he runs into what's called a bride's whale. And more accurately speaking, he didn't run into the bride's whale. The bride's whale ran into him. And what the bride's whale did is he was getting ready to feed Um, And bride's whales are not like carnivorous animals. They're not like ravenous, like sharks, right? With big, huge teeth and all. He just opened his mouth and he happened to capture Rainier in his mouth. And so when that happened, uh, Rainier found himself with some pressure. It says in the story, it says he found some pressure on his hips as he entered the whale's mouth. And he began to see the world outside him from the perspective of being inside a whale's mouth. And as he had that experience, which was maybe one or two seconds long, because then the whale opened its mouth again, and what happened? Rene popped out, and he swam back to his boat, and he asked his fellow photographer, did you get the shot? But he had just been eaten by a whale. You see what's going on with this story? Is He had just been partially, I mean, you could say he was swallowed by a whale, but mainly he got partway into the whale's mouth. Do you see where I'm going with this? But what I love is what he said after that. He said, it was an interesting experience for me, but surely nothing I want to do again. Did you say amen to that? 
right? I now have the inside knowledge of a whale which nobody else has. We would say, not quite. Because there's another one named Jonah. And in fact, not only did Jonah get taken up serendipitously into the mouth of a whale, which we think, you know, was like a blue whale, like two and a half city buses lengths of whale. But the Bible says that he actually stayed in the intestines of the whale. Now, they didn't take a camera down the throat of the whale that captured Jonah. So we don't know how far he actually went into the whale. We just know when they use the language in the Bible, the Bible it refers to the innards of the whale. That Jonah was inside the whale for three days and three nights. Now, having seen Rainier's story, can you see how it's possible that a great big huge blue whale might accidentally run into a person and take him into his mouth? Okay, so there's the accidental potential of that. But what if God sent the whale on purpose? You see, the accidental could happen in nature. It happened to Rainier, right? But what if God purposefully sent a whale to be in that place and in that time when Jonah hit the water and sank below? And we're going to get into all the backstory and we're going to talk about all that happened in that whole story. But what I wanted to do at the beginning of the series is this. I wanted to attack the idea that Jonah could not have been swallowed by a whale and dispel that myth. Because scientifically speaking, could Jonah have been swallowed by a whale? We can see that that's now possible. And you can see that on any of a half dozen different news outlets, which by the way, the one I read referred to the story of Jonah. Now imagine secular news agencies all around the world capturing the story of Rainier's Schimpf. And referring with one little tiny line somewhere in there, this reminds us of the biblical story of Jonah, who spent three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. Now, if you ever teach preschoolers, sometimes mix it up and call it the welly of a bale. Just say that with me. Ready? One, two, three. The welly of a bale. It's just fun. But anyway, the question is, why did Jonah spend three days and three nights in the belly of a whale? And why do we have this prophet Jonah in the first place? And why do we care about his story? If you want to know some more detailed backstory before we get into it next week, go on our Facebook page. There's a link on there that I posted two days ago that takes you to a story that's presented in video with sound and explanation. The whole backstory of Jonah and his trip down the throat of a whale and into its tummy. But why do we take that story seriously and put it in our messages? And why do we study it? Well, there are five different reasons why. And we're going to take a look at those in detail this morning. The first one is this. We know by studying the history of Israel, which is Jonah's people. Israel was the people that Jonah was born into. Israel was supposed to be the promised people who brought the Messiah into the world. That is their story and that's their history. But the problem is, is that Israel disobeyed God and cheated on God with foreign gods. What does that mean? That means that Israel knew that their God was the only God and that he is a jealous God. And that he is a God who does not share his people with other gods. Now, what is a God? 
A God is anything in whom you put your trust or turn to in times of difficulty. A God is anything that you follow above and beyond humans. And when you put your faith and your trust in something other than God, God doesn't like that. He's jealous for you. Reason why is because he loves you and he made you. He wants all of you to himself. He will not share you with false gods. But the people Israel decided to cheat on God and decided that they wanted to share their time between the one true God and other gods. And then what happened after that was that God allowed Israel to be conquered and scattered all over the world by their enemies. It was very important to Israel that they have the promised land to live in. The land that God promised their forefather Abraham. And so when they were conquered by their enemies and scattered, they were taken out of their promised land. So they were separated from the place that God had promised them. And so all of a sudden their faith is shaken. But the reason that happened is because God was calling them back to himself, to dependence upon him, to love with him, and to relationship with him. In essence, what God was doing was turning Israel over to the things they wanted other than him so that they could experience the fact that those are false gods that cannot meet their needs so that they would do what? Repent or turn and go back to the one true God, right? And so that happened. And what the the story of Jonah brings to us is this idea of one of those enemies who eventually conquered a big part of Israel was Assyria, the nation of Assyria, and Nineveh is their capital. capital. Uh, Jonah is called to go and preach to Nineveh. He's called out of Israel to go to enemy territory and preach to the capital city in enemy territory. This is why Jonah ran. Jonah had a mountain of impossibility in front of him. He had a mountain of stuff in front of him that nobody in their right mind would do. And he got to the end of his rope in the physical realm, the possible realm. And the way that we will discover he fell short was in his trust of God. He didn't trust God to take those steps forward. And instead, the Bible describes in great detail in the book of Jonah how he ran. See, Jonah was called to preach and bring to uh, the nation of Assyria through its very capital a word of impending destruction and doom. Within 40 days, Assyria is going to be destroyed, which basically was his message. This was before Assyria would turn and destroy the northern kingdom of Israel and scatter its people all over the region. So let's answer the question practically for you and for me. Why is it we study this story knowing a little bit of that backdrop, a little bit of that background for three main reasons? These are just ideas that I want you to think and pray on as we gather on Sunday mornings. The first one, we share certain key aspects of Jonah's attitude. Do we ever look for signs from God? And when we don't see them, do we run from what he has called us to? When we don't see those overt signs, those billboards or those two by fours of life that smack us in the forehead and say, yes, this is the way to go or no, this isn't. When we don't see those signs, do we run from the things that God gives us in life to be a part of and to do? Yes, sometimes we do do that. And we have done things that Jonah has done. We have failed to trust God. We have failed to follow him into the unknown. We've done these things 
And we understand and know in a theoretical way that God provides his help in ways that we sometimes don't like or understand or respect. And the reason I say theoretical is it's typically when we get into trouble that we start questioning the direction God has given us in life. Amen. When we get into trouble, that's when we begin to rationalize and doubt. You know, maybe Jonah would have said this. Surely God doesn't want me to go to enemy territory and preach. Surely he doesn't. So I'm just going to take off and run and see if he does anything. And don't we do the same? You know, it kind of sounds like another message that was uh, relayed in the Garden of Eden. Surely God didn't mean or surely God didn't say. That is our temptation. And sometimes when we run into that temptation, we just flat out run, don't we? In the opposite direction. The idea is this. We're going to explore Jonah because we need God's help. We sing that song, you know, sometimes in church. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. This is the story of us needing God. This is how that lays itself out for us and how it bears fruit. This is how this becomes real. See, the idea is this. Jonah was called to go uh, to Nineveh, and instead he goes down to Joppa in the same region where he was, and he took a boat to a place called Tarshish. Now, some of the the, the big brains, the, the people who study this stuff in history, disagree over where Tarshish actually was. Some people think it was at the southern tip of Spain. But that's kind of on the opposite end of the known world at that time, isn't it? So Jonah was bound, we think, for the furthest place away from God's instruction that he could possibly go. That is the extent to which he wanted to run. The Bible says he booked passage on this ship. And basically what he was saying to God was not so much in words... But in actions, he's basically saying to God, nope, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm not going to Assyria. I don't care how far around the globe you chase me. I'm not going to do what you called me to do, even though he lived in the station of prophet. And so God took that as kind of a no reply. You know, when you text somebody and you know they got the text and they don't respond, You know, some people like to get a text back instantly. Otherwise, they're offended. You know, other people give a statute of limitations on a text, like 24 hours. You know, how many hours is your statute of limitations on a text? I've actually taken maybe three days to respond to a text before, simply because I didn't know what to say yet, and I wanted to make sure my message was right. I don't know what your statute is. But God's statute was a little longer because he let Jonah get out into the boat with the people who he explained himself to and his story to, and then what did he let happen? let Jonah run away. He put him out in the middle of a storm 
And he let him experience the wrath of God, the jealous love of God. And Jonah eventually lets the people or even asks the people on the boat, it's my fault. I messed up. Why don't you throw me overboard? And then the story really, really begins. So the question is why? Let's answer that question. We know that we need God. We've established that we do the same kinds of things. And even more importantly, we have the same kind of attitude of heart as Jonah. When faced with difficulty in our life, when faced with failure in our life, failure to trust God, we are tempted to go to sea and float as far away from God as we can. And then we're tempted to jump ship. But the why of the story of Jonah sets us up beautifully for the season that we enter into with Easter, where we are looking at the importance of those three days and three nights that Jesus spent in the belly of the earth and what it is about his forefather, Jonah, spending three days and three nights in the belly of the great whale that makes us want to know God more, makes us want to trust him more, and makes us want to uh, turn away from the temptation to run from God. Because God is the one who will take us places we've never been before and speak through us messages we've never said before, even into the very living rooms of our enemies. In those days, he will speak through us and he will conquer the fear in us to share his great glory with people who don't know him yet. Do you see where this is headed? So I'd invite you, whether you're here or online, I'd invite you to be with us through this series as we set our hearts up for Easter and celebrating Holy Week. Let's enter into the belly of the whale or the welly of the bale, however you'd like to say it. Let's enter into the darkness together, knowing that God is there, knowing that at the end of three days, what will happen? We're going to be on a beach in the sunshine, the light of God's glory. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jonah. Thank you for what really isn't just a preschool story, but an event. Thank you for something that happened, something that people have written about, and that Jesus referred to directly. This is the sign you will receive, the sign of Jonah, who ran and was redeemed, who split and yet was brought back into the grace of God, who was angry with God and rebelled against him, and yet felt the love of God, even as he felt the discipline of God. And ultimately, he was used by God to change the world. Christ, we worship you and we thank you. As we sing now and respond to you, as the kids come back in and join us, God set a pace in us, set a tone in us, so we may see your grace working in the big picture the grace from which we don't dare turn and run because we know you're working in it. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.